everyone, welcome to episode 43 of the Audience Police podcast with me, your host, Adam. And just before we dive into this week's podcast, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to some former guests who've put out some music today as I, as I record this on a, on a Friday, but uh, be out a few days or whenever you listen to this, the, the records will have been out a little while. But um, shout out to good friends, Mikey and Chris of Frauds. Um, they've just released their second full-length album today called Long Spoons. Um, I've had it for a little while and it's absolutely superb. I'm going to go see them tomorrow or in the past as you, as you listen to this. Um, they're just doing a run of shows to promote that. Um, and also, shout out to the guys in Frontera. You may remember I had Dan, um, who also has his solo project, Lift. But um, Frontera have just released a, a new album today, as, as I record this again. And yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Um, actually, as Liam from Hidden Mothers, who's also been on this podcast, described it as on social media this morning, it's uh, like Meshuggah being faxed into space, uh, which I, I love that description. So Liam, if you're listening, um, thank you. I'm stealing that description for, <laughs> for my review of Frontier's new album. So anyway, back to this episode. And I was very lucky to have... Vocalist Jim and guitarist James of Hull's self-described miserable band Mastiff. And uh, yeah, feel very lucky to have these guys on. Um, I saw them a few years back supporting cult leader um, Birds in Row, um, which we'll talk about later on the podcast. And yeah, been keeping an eye on them ever since. Um, they've just released their album, um, Leave Me the Ashes of the Earth, which came out a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it's absolutely disgustingly good um, is probably the, the best way I can describe it. Um, I did actually review it for Noise. So if you want to read some words about it, head over to, to Noise to read that review. Um, so yeah, we talk about the inspiration behind the album and the accompanying videos, which I've been enjoying very much. Um, their approach to recording and as ever their top gigs played and been to. And James and I, having known each other for a little while now via social media, were way too eager to talk about a certain legendary American band that we have uh, a deep shared love for. So it was really good to have these these two on. Um, they're on tour with Caligram later this month, uh, October 2021, if you're listening now. Um, and yeah, uh, Caligram are, are brilliant as well. I can't wait. They're playing at the Blackheart in London. Um, I'll be there and I think they're playing a few dates, but I'll, I'll pop it in the social so you can see where they're playing and where you can go and catch them. Um, so anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode and enjoy my chat with James and Jim and I'll catch you next time. Bye. So hey, James and Jim, welcome to the podcast. Um, and for listeners, um, Jim is the vocalist of Mastiff and James is the one of the axe wielders for uh, Mastiff. Um, it's great to have you both on and a belated happy birthday to James. Oh, thank you. Your, you, your birthday was 
your birthday was the other day. Did you get up to anything interesting, mate? Uh, I got I got thrown a surprise party on uh, on Saturday night, which was very nice. So which uh, these these lovely chaps were in on, and they were plain dumb and ignorant about yeah. about for uh, the end of last week. So that that was a well, lovely we're gonna, surprise. We're going to keep in secrets, aren't we? So. <laughs> well, yeah, we've we've had to. <laughs> I suppose we've had to get quite good in general at keeping secrets in the last couple of years. So yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't yeah. have surprised me that they uh, extended that to uh, to this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, so, what did you get for your birthday? Did the guys buy you anything? Uh, anything nice? Any uh, uh, nice surprises? Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they bought. They bought me some beers. <laughs> they bought me some beers, which is always. I'm, I'm drinking one right now. Plug, plug uh, Northern yeah. Monk. There you go. Yeah, North, Northern Monk's very. Northern Monk's very good. Yeah, I've got my uh, Beaver Town on the go. Uh, Beaver Town or Northern Monk, if you're listening, if you want to sponsor the podcast, that would be uh, yes. absolutely great. Yeah. <laughs> send, send, send the dude some subs. Go on. Get, yeah. get, yeah. get Mr. V hooked up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the reasons why I got you guys on um, before we dive into the top gigs that you've played and the top gigs that you've been to is... Obviously, you've just released uh, an incredible album, if I say so myself. Oh, thank um, you very Le- much. Thank you. That, that's all right. Um, leave, me, leave me the ashes of the earth. Um, so how's it been for you guys? Obviously, um, I know I wrote a review for it for Noise, but uh, looking at the other reviews, you've had such a great reaction. How's it to finally get that piece of work out there? It's blinding. Um, it's, yeah, been a long time because it's been, we've been sat on it for over a year now. Uh, yeah, so it's just nice to get the re- reaction back. I think Jeff, you said about um, having all the people, you know, reviewers. Uh, sorry, yeah, the reviews coming in, and then you forget that uh, you know the actual public, listening public, are going to uh, you know give you a review as well. So it's quite... yeah, yeah. I think I, th- I think when you you do you do sort of you anticipate the. Uh, the cr- critical response to some degree. I mean, we didn't necessarily anticipate what the critical response would be, but we at least, you know, knew that reviews would be incoming. But yeah, I think I think when you sort of, you sit biting your nails, you know, waiting for reviews to pour in, you do forget that once that sort of street date hits, everyone gets to listen to it and there. Uh, and, you for- and you forget that, you know, the, the people that are, um, you know, do it at least sort of semi for a living might have their ways of constructing opinions, but... You know, every everyone out there who you know the the record buying public that are the ones that actually sort of make or break these you know bands and albums and stuff that they're also paying attention. I think I forget that anyone anyone that isn't sort of on some sort of PR payroll actually does still give <laughs> some sort of shit about it. So, so but yeah, every, I mean, I think across the board, I think we've only had, I think we had one. <laughs> one or two, one or two, one or two review. I think we had. Do we see a review from? Was it like a German webzine or something well, both, the other day? Both, both the crap ones that we've had. <laughs> yeah, Germany, Germany. Germany. Like us, apparently. Yeah, I think, we got I th- think they're a bit upset because the granddad's never bombed us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James. oh wow! Oh, James. <laughs> already, already, um, already gone down that road about Hull. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, but no. Generally, uh, generally speaking, everything else has been wildly positive and obviously we're very very humbled and uh happy you know happy that people enjoy it because you know we we like what we do that's why we do it but there's no sort of guarantee that anyone else gives a shit or or you know is is going to respond to it in a positive fashion so the fact that they have has been delightful 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been it's been really nice to see. Obviously, I became aware of you guys uh, a, a little while ago, um, but it's um, it's nice to see that you're getting sort of a wider opinion um, and wider coverage for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit around that because um, obviously you were with uh, APF Records um, for a while, and you yes. built a great relationship with them. Um, and they sort of gave you the gave the leg up. But what was the decision to move over to E1 um, after all this time? Yeah. Oh, we we have, we have to specify now. Uh, it's uh, it's Monarch now. As of as of about three days ago. Yeah, because it was. I think it was. It was maybe a matter of weeks after we sort of signed the dotted line. Um, sort of Hasbro, who did own the E1. Like the music um, sold it off to like this sort of independent finance conglomerate, and uh, they've sort of been quietly like working behind the scenes on like this big sort of rebranding um, rollout, and they officially uh, launched it. Yeah, literally like three days ago or something. So. Oh wow. So, so so yeah, I think I think I was I think Tower Records actually probably one of the last, if not the last, album released with the E One. Uh, logo on it because from now yeah. on it's it's monarch but like m m n r k and and, oh, it has okay. a, and it has a butterfly for a logo which has <laughs> no it's Mothra what did you say it's Mothra <laughs> oh yeah oh well, yeah well I mean I I surmise that if we wanted to try and make it sound cooler <laughs> then <laughs> then yes it's it's definitely meant to be Mothra but no I don't think I don't think the butterfly has gone down very well with some people but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. It's still the yeah, same, yeah. the same awesome people and the, the same label and just a different name now. Yeah. So yeah, why why did you decide to jump uh, jump on board with uh, these guys for for this album um, after working with APF? Because uh, they asked us. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, there's you know the, the the sort of there's a longer version of the story of how it came about, but ultimately. Um, you know, it it came about because a friend of ours who plays in another band, we discovered whilst drunk at a show together, worked for E1 and uh, gave us a heads up and just said, look, next time you've got anything new recorded, just send it my way. I'll run it up the flagpole and maybe someone might, you know, enjoy it enough that you might get like a tour out of it. Maybe you'll get like a support slot with Crowbar or something next time they're in the UK. And we just, nice. you know, we were like... That'd be amazing. That you know, I mean, Mastiff. Before my time in the band, Mastiff have already played with Crowbar, and, and you can attest to that being a particularly pleasurable experience as well. So, so you know, we would just thought that'd be amazing. You know, because we're always up for playing cool shows and stuff. And then we sent we sent the album. You know, we sort of made good on our our end of it, not really thinking anything of it. And a couple of weeks later, after yeah, sending it off to our our good mate Danny came back and he was like, right, boys, uh, they want to sign, yeah. And we were like, oh wow. Dan actually said, at no point did he actually think they would sign us. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he was as you know, surprised not, as us. So yeah, yeah. Although uh, not not because he didn't have faith in in our album, of course, just because I think that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, as, yeah. I mean. I think because he's a guy in the heavy music world himself, I think he's just sort of like, he knows the reality of the of this, this scenario, do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's not necessarily common for 
a band as not just as heavy of us, but kind of like on a on an international level, we're pretty, you know, like we're fairly unknown. We sold a few copies of Plague in the States, but we're certainly not a a common name out there. So I think the idea that a big like US based label would hear, hear, you know, be willing to take a shot putting our album out is quite, you know, quite a surprise for everyone involved. I think so. We can't blame him for for uh, for being <laughs> yeah, no, doubt, a little doubtful. Doubt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah, but I think when you know when when that sort of came through, I mean, it, it's you know without without wanting to certainly not undermine this opportunity because this is like I mean E One of Monarch, sorry, are one of the coolest sort of heavy labels out there. If not, they're not necessarily one of the first ones people think about just because they're not an obviously metal like branding wise you know like people they're not metal blade they're not relapse they're not you know they they don't scream aggressive music um necessarily yeah. but then you look at the roster and it's like oh hang on like they've got like high and fire and contortionist and crowbar and and, all, and like other cool sort of new bands like plague years and creeping death and things like that and it it was an easy decision for us to make but at the same time there wasn't exactly a lot of competition beating down outdoors to like <laughs> to, to like snatch us away. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Warner, so, Warner, 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 Warner weren't knocking on the door yet or anything. No, so. no, no, no. We <laughs> well, they yeah. were on the wrong door. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it was kind of an easy decision for us to make because you know where. I mean, I'm the youngest member of Mastiff, and I'm closer to 40 than i am 30 now um the rest of the rest of us are you know a little bit older again and it's without wanting to be sort of grim about it you sort of assume that opportunities like this are probably not gonna done and dusted yeah amp, amp up for a band of ours that's you know of our sound and of our age so you know when an opportunity like this came along we couldn't you know, we had we had to sort of do our due diligence and read the contract and discuss the the you know the realities of the situation both between ourselves and with with the label guys as well just to sort of make sure that they understood that we're we're you know we're not full timers we're never going to be able to commit to like six months touring every year and we're never you know we're not we can't just drop everything to be mastiff full time and they yeah. were super understanding and supportive of that and you know they ex they understand the world that they operate in nowadays and that how the music industry is and that you can't expect bands of our ilk to to just you know to just be a band and still be able to eat food and look you know pay rent and yeah. things so so yeah, yeah. It, was, it just every everything just sort of came came up rosy for us really yeah. and it was yeah it was an e an easy yes yeah, that's that's good to hear that um, sort of a bigger label's understanding of uh, bands of um, sort of Mastiff's level and like you like you say, especially having like day jobs and not being full time. That's great to hear that they've been understanding and obviously they they will open more doors hopefully for you guys um, going forward with tour opportunities maybe. But obviously, obviously it's great to see that they've picked you guys up. Um, so going back to the going back to the album, um, obviously you worked with Joe Clayton of Pine, um, and he's worked with Ithaca and Mountain Caller before. People who I've had on the podcast, um, 
absolutely incredible. Um, what was that? Uh, what was the process like for you guys? Because you love to record quickly. You did your last album in two days. You did it, it in five days. Five days this time. Um, yeah. How was that working with uh, Joe? And what was his sort of influence on the record? Even though it's such a short span of time in the studio. Um, five luxurious days in the studio. Yeah, um, in a cellar was... in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, in a bit, yeah, in a basement studio in Manchester, in the middle of a nationwide. Well, technically, we weren't in full lockdown, but we were like in like the sliver of the sliver of time in between the lockdowns. Um, it was awesome. It was, uh, I like like I said, it was it was the longest we've ever spent in the studio, even if by most sort of standards, it's still a, a pretty minuscule amount of time to make a, a full length album. Um, definitely but it was I don't know it was such an just an easy enjoyable process I mean we were we, we did were put cut. a lot of time in previous didn't yeah. we? we had a lot of practicing before so I mean it was it was fairly nailed together before we went in yeah um, we, yeah we did we'd, we'd sort of demoed just literally just sort of like a rough like in our practice space there's a little a little sort of studio set up in in our practice room complex and we um we just like we d- basically just did like a real rough demo of the whole record just so we like, a had to, had that to send to joe so he knew what he, he knew what he was going to be working with it wasn't like we we you know he heard the songs for the first time as he hit record like he knew what we were doing we knew sequence wise you know where where the album started and where it finished and it just meant that, and and again, because we've always been used to recording very very quickly, um, and we do like to part of our process is like recording live the f- five of us in a room together. It sort of it's essential for us to be as well rehearsed as we can be. I mean, we still we're we're still like a shitty band, so like, <laughs> we're, we still we still we still need a bit a bit of. Um, you know, polishing up from 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 the outside help, but we, you know, we we do our best to make sure that we can play our songs and that it doesn't need to be like painstakingly pieced together in a studio. Like we can, we uh, essentially the backbone of the album is still just us playing the songs as a band, and then you know, the the different main difference this time was we had extra time that we could go in and instead of just doing like one. What you know, one left guitar, one right guitar. We had like three or four layers on each side that we could blend and you know piece you know piece together. Not not necessarily for like the best takes, but just to build. Yeah, just to sort of pile the wall of sound up. Yeah, um, you can you can definitely hear that as well. I I, um, I can't remember the the names of the tracks off the top of my head, but you can definitely right. um, <laughs> hear yeah hear hear from. Uh, it's like an evolution from your last album, which is obviously a lot more straight up. Um, mm. But there's definitely more more elements um, to this album, especially like off off the bat, the opening track where it's literally just builds slowly and slowly, and just turns into a hellish noisescape. <laughs> um, is is that something you probably wouldn't have been able to do before, but you had the opportunity to do with Joe this time? Yeah, kind of like that because because with the previous album we had a, a few bits sort of Dan Dan our bass player does a lot of um he does a lot of like noise just like noise he make he likes making like harsh noise 
records with some of his side projects and stuff. So a lot on the on Plague, there's bits and pieces of like interludes and like an intro where it's like a lot of like just sort of clanging, horrible, you know, like no, literal like noise scapes. Whereas with this one, I, it was without, without wanting to sort of like, you know, toot my own trumpet too much. The, in, the intro to the new album was kind of, I just had this idea and I was like, it's sort of a song, but not, it's more musical than, you know, the sort of noise interludes that we've done before. But it's, the idea was that it was never meant to be a song that we would like play as, as, a, as a band live at shows. It was always meant to just be like this sort of scene setting that would start, you know, kind of quiet and and eerie and then just sort of build in intensity until it was nigh on incomprehensible noise and then just like, with like just slam straight into the first sort of proper song just to catch people off guard really that's and also we made sure that it starts at like literally really quietly in in terms of like the mix and the master and then um, um, amps up so the idea that people think oh this is maybe they've mastered this album really quietly so they're like crank, yeah. crank the stereo <laughs> and then as soon as that second song actually does hit in it just like burst stereo drums which yeah I, I i definitely did that the first the first time i listened to it when Rap i got there. sent the when i got sent the pr email i was like oh this is this is really quiet maybe it's just the the, the, the mix on the pr on the pr uh the tracks and i did exactly that cranked it up and then i went oh oh yep. shit no we're Ooh, just we're just, we're, just, yeah, we're just massive trolls that's all it is <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, so going into the the songwriting for you guys, how, uh, does this feel like an evolution for you guys um, in regards to before you got into the studio in, in regards to how you wrote the songs? Because it definitely feels like a, a step forward for you. Um, it, yeah, musically wise, I think, yeah, massively. But, you know, it was literally, I've said it before, um, we finished the plague run and started writing new songs, and they just took, uh, you know, a, a natural progression, I suppose. It's not like we went out to go and try and do anything, you know, other than write massive songs. So um, I know you, you lads did spend a lot more time on the music, though, didn't you? So, once, yeah. but, you know, the, the, the initial thing is it's five mates in a room, and it's just, you know, the music is the music, so. Yeah, we don't, I, yeah, I don't think we ever... Re- in the grand scheme of things, we never really set out, um, you know, with with like a clear game plan of like, okay, well, this is how we need to evolve our sound. I think it, it is just naturally, the you know, the longer that the five of us specifically have been in this band together, it's obviously like, a, you know, some of us haven't, myself and Dan haven't always been in Mastiff and Phil's been in and out of the bands um, over, the, over the years. But it's it's been sort of five years now that, this version of Mastiff has been a thing. And I think you just naturally, the longer you play with people, you just, you get a, a bit better, uh, uh, um, just sort of in, intuitively, like understanding what everyone else is thinking, where their strengths lie as musicians, where their influences are being pulled from, how you you can sort of marry your thoughts and influences with with that. And I think we've just got, I think when you listen to sort of the three releases that this the five of us have put out, you can hear that we're sort of, you know, like it's not, we've not massively leapt forward in terms, like stylistically, but we got 
better at marrying all of our disparate kind of ideas and influences together over Bulk, Plague, and now Leave Me the Ashes. Like, I think it's just, yeah, we're just better at being the band we are now. And hopefully, you know, when we get on to whatever we do next, it will just continue that way. Not necessarily because we're trying to outdo ourselves, but just because we're, again, just getting better at being at being Mastiff. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, no, it's, 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 it, yeah, that kind of makes sense because there are certain songs, and I know when I wrote, wrote in my review, you, you've obviously got varying uh, influences. I know James, we met because of um, Cave, the love of Cavin, which we we'll get indeed. onto prob- oh, we <laughs> probably oh, in a bit. Um, and yeah, there's like certain songs where you can. I think on Plague, you, you can't necessarily hear as much cave-in influence as you can on this record. Mm. But like you say, it's interesting that you've said it's way more natural because, again, I can't think of the track names off the top of my head, but um, there are certain points on the record where it's essentially like a grindcore song, but then you can hear your sort of Stephen Brodsky-isms coming yeah. through on guitar, <laughs> which which I really like. There's like little licks of it, little teasers of it, which is... Oh, it's uh, make it, it's making me tear. blush. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, fact, the, fact, the fact that anyone would even consider like uh, comparing anything I do to Steve Brodsky is... Uh, oh, shucks. I mean, I disagree. <laughs> no, Steve mate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, just before, uh, well, there's actually a couple of couple of things before we get onto top gigs. Um, one that I added because I literally just thought of it. How the hell did you guys get on to the Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> uh, radio uh, on on the on the on the game? Because um, I remember when that was announced, and I know James, we spoke about it. How the hell did the, that come I love about? The answer to this one, I love yeah. the answer. Um, the the absolute genuine no honest Andy. answer. Yeah, <laughs> is the, no, no, a hundred percent. What Jim said. We to this day do not really understand. Um, we just got an email one day through our Bandcamp page. Um, it was about a month after Plague came out, and f- uh, f- Phil, our the guitar player, he he sort of managed, you know, like looks after the Bandcamp. So he came to practice one day. And he was like, "Oh, we got we got this email from some some game people called CD something. They're making a game and asked if we wanted a song on the soundtrack." Is it is it worth it? <laughs> like, <laughs> you really cricked your neck, didn't you? My, hey, yeah, my head like because <laughs> I'm I sort of I'm probably like the big the biggest like gamer in the band, and I was already very well aware of like the cyberpunk hype train rolling out out of the station. So I was like, show me, show me, show me the email. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it literally it was completely unsolicited at that point you know it was we were still te- i mean we, yeah we were technically still signed to apf because we just put plague out but the nature of our relationship with them was it sort of only just sort of a step up from like a gentlemanly handshake agreement we didn't have any you know once you'd sort of delivered a record that's it until you decide to do something else so we were technically free agents we didn't you know have any publicity um things going on we didn't have we certainly didn't have any management or anything so there was nobody like trying to plug us somewhere someone at the label must have just heard our album somehow and they you know obviously they knowing that i think it doesn't under that 
circumstance, it probably didn't help that we're not a super, super well-known band because as we sort of got into with them as the sort of months rolled on, you know, the, obviously aside from like the bigger acts that they pulled in for, you know, publicity's sake, um, they were trying to cultivate a soundtrack that they could kind of keep in universe. And I think the fact that it was A, bands that weren't now always necessarily super well-known and also like it was all material that was previously unreleased hmm. so that they could sort of build the illusion that all of this music existed within the universe of the game and wasn't just something that you could go and you know bang on on, on spotify or anything um yeah because yeah. they because they yeah because they gave all the they gave all the bands like uh pseudonyms didn't they yeah. so like the arm the armed were like called homeschool boys or something like that yeah. and yeah whatever like they, yeah, yeah. But yeah, was, I remember um, us talking about it, and because obviously the game got delayed for God knows how long. Yeah, um, not, not long you, enough. A lot of people would argue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I remember we were talking about it, and you were you were sat on it for quite some time. That news, weren't you? Yeah, nearly two years. Fucking hell, that's yeah. Mad. I mean, I mean, I say officially we were sat on that information for for nearly two years. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that we told lots of people like on various drunken nights out and because uh, you know <laughs> you, you can't keep that news like that under your hat uh, indefinitely but I think in terms of like the band's sort of presence in the world we we did a fairly good job of keeping it under our hat so yeah, and that definitely. also enabled us to give you know five days of studio time as well so yeah it yeah that nice little, yeah yeah, nice. the, the, that track paid paid for our album basically. Yeah. Oh, amazing! I didn't know that. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's well. That's that's always good when you get a, get a bit of money out of it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd have, we'd have given it for free, just for, you know, just for the bragging rights. But yeah, it was it was nice that they did give us some some money for, for it. That you know. So yeah. then, I guess like it's it's set a ball rolling because I do I think as well when we sent and the finished record to E One. And uh, Dan, our label guy, said to us, like, you know, is there anything else that I can tell them that might sort of grease the wheels a bit, anything that sounds impressive? And it's like, I mean, <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are on the soundtrack to a video game that just sold 13 million copies. That, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's pretty impressive, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and just the just last question before we dive into top gigs, um, I just wanted to talk a, a bit around um, the last two music videos you guys have done, um, and wanted to talk around the inspiration. They're very like Red Fang esque, is yeah. uh, <laughs> in my notes with uh, with the comedy comedy acting. Um, yeah, what was the sort of the idea around um, uh, a, the label person keeling over and then you hunting him <laughs> down through the streets? What, where was the inspiration for that? Well, it, it was Red Fang, wasn't it? It was the Red Fang were always mentioned in most of the conversations about the style. Yeah. But, um, um, originally, we wanted, or I'd come up with an idea about it being in a party bus, and then the lockdown completely fucked us on that. So then, Jam, you went about sort of right. I'll, I've got some ideas and and a way yeah. we went with those really. Yeah, I just sort of because because initially it was it was Dan from the label who'd said he was like, you know, you've done you've put the first video out and it was your sort of serious, grim, you know, metalcore warehouse video. And it was like, I know you've 
you know, Mastiff have the sort of the miserable band reputation, but you're actually just a set of knobheads. So, like, why don't you, why don't, why don't you, why don't you let everyone in on the fact that you're just a set of knobheads? And we thought, oh well, you know, that that might be fun because we've certainly never. I mean, we've never done like a video with a narrative before, let alone like a silly one. And then yeah, Jim, Jim had the idea of the party bus, and then I kind of just tried to think of a way to spin a story out of it. And and the label were keen to not not necessarily like cut corners, but they were like, you know, if if you can shoot two videos back to back, that would certainly help just timeline wise, because then it means that we've got, you know, we can put two singles out before the album rather than just one more. And yeah. so it was like, well, how how can we make this idea of us being, you know, just on 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 the Raz um, make it a story? And then I had an idea. I was like, well, what if it was the label rep comes to town and we're trying to like sh show them a good time and impress him, and so we take them out and get them wrecked, but then we accidentally kill them, and then <laughs> and then it turns into like a weekend at Bernie's kind of situation where we're trying to like desperately get rid of this body, and then like Jim said, the sort of the practicalities of, you know, we wanted to, you know, we try, we tried to book um, a local sort of bar slash venue. Cause we thought, well, you know, we could, we could try and put like a little show together and get friends down for it and stuff, but they were still not, they didn't feel super safe about having like a, a gig yet. Cause this was, this was, you know, a few months yeah. ago now. So it was still restrictions were still Bars kind of in place. <laughs> yeah. And um and then we're like, well, how about we'll just do it at our practice room and then that way that, you know, it'll just be he can the label guy can just be coming to like watch us rehearse and and it could even it could even be like this, you know, he's coming to potentially sign us. And it was just and then we got, you know, because the guy in the video is is Dan, our label guy. Like it's <laughs> it's that, that that he was playing a very, very, very thinly veiled version of himself in that <laughs> video. Like I, I think the only thing that wasn't his sort of, I mean, the haircut is just his haircut. <laughs> I, think, I think the only part of it that was even slightly falsified was he doesn't normally wear that cowboy shirt, which is a shame because it's a lovely shirt. And the amount yeah, of people asked about getting older that cowboy shirt, he's unreal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Either, uh, and I would say he looks he looks good in that cowboy shirt. So he does, if you're listening, he does, he if you're it. listening, Dan, you should uh, get more cow get more oh, cowboy shirts. He, oh, he, <laughs> He definitely won't be. <laughs> he is enough. He is enough of our shit on a daily basis. You don't need to be listening to us in interviews as well. <laughs> oh, that yeah, that's really cool. And it, I, I mean, from a from a sort of fans' perspective, it definitely uh, that whole uh, label boss coming along. It sort of ties into the narrative of you actually getting signed as well. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's, it is, it is very yeah. funny, and uh, yeah. I hope that and it was. I, yeah. I hope the story continues. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, we we hope so. That's what that's why we had the little the end question mark tag at the end, just in case you know if if everything goes according to plan and we get to make another album, then then you know we might carry on. But uh, it was what um, was really nice was that at the end of the second video, um, when we get pulled over by the cops, it's Fieldy uh, from APF plays the cop that pulls us over. We thought it would be a nice little way to just sort of like. Past, you know, have the the baton passed from uh, from APF to E1. So yeah, we've got nice. we've got so we've got our new our new label guy and our our uh, previous label guy. One of them, we kill one of them and the other one tries to arrest us. Seemed quite appropriate. Officer Dig cuts out. <laughs> Officer Dig cuts out. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> nice, nice. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I hope that story continues for the for the next album. I've definitely enjoyed those. And yeah, straight away saw the the Red Fang uh vibes off the bat. Uh, with the whole, with the whole, um, with the whole subtitle, was I was like, yeah, nailed yeah. it, absolutely nailed it. Um, so we'll we'll get into the, the the fun bit of the podcast, and we'll talk about uh, top three gigs played and top three gigs been to. Um, obviously, James, I I know we, we've probably got some in common in regards I'm to sure gigs been to. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about gigs played first. Um, Jim, do you want to? kick us off mate what's uh, one of your top gigs you've ever played either in mastiff or other bands doesn't matter uh well no it'd be mastiff um probably the top one was uh, supporting crowbar i would think nice um yeah there's not a lot else to say to that really is there i've pestered <laughs> and pestered and pestered the promoter till the point where i was like he's either gonna tell me to fuck right off Oh, he's just gonna go right. I've got yeah, just go on and you can do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, so was where, that where, where, where was that and when was that? Uh, that was at Sheffield Corporation, um, nice. main room. So, I walked out, nobody in the room apart from about three people. Went to Ben Downs, put my set list down, stood up, and like the room was full. I was like, holy shit, it was <laughs> oh, wow. you know, at that point, I'd never played to that many people i don't think so i was like holy fucking hell uh yeah so that'll that would be one of my top ones but i mean most most of our gigs you go blind at gigs but it's just it's you know they're all they're all a good laugh because we all enjoy each other's company so but yeah i'm waffling (laughs) you are nice one um what about what about you james what's some of the um, top ones you've played yeah i mean yeah it, w- it would be mastiff um uh we had um I, well I, I suppose probably what the favorite one that i've ever played um was one that you'd be familiar with was when we played with cult leader in uh bournemouth Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, Bournemouth, yeah, yeah. Bo- yeah. 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 Anvil, yeah. Anvil, hot, Anvil. Hot, just hottest, hottest day of the year as well. <laughs> yeah, fucking just, boiling. It was just, it was just one of those where just the entire day was great. I mean, it's like you know, it was, it was a long drive to get there for us, but um, you know, we got turned up, and this, yeah, sun was blazing. We went and had a walk on the front, grabbed some beers, had a nice, nice little, you know, John around the uh the coast and then yeah played the hottest sweatiest show of all time and then you know i thought i I don't really remember a lot about our performances at shows because you know it all they they all sort of blur into each other and also i just like jim said you sort of you do disappear a bit when you're playing a show i definitely i definitely like pass out and sort of wake up 40 minutes later (laughs) and i'm just like oh did we did we play the song? Was just it like, all right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, we got to play with um, Birds in Row and Cult Leader, who are two of the, you know, the best sort of modern hardcore bands of the last decade, at least. So, you know, it, it, that that was, I think that was the first, you know, because we played with so many great bands, uh, you know, a lot of, like, amazing UK bands. But that was one of the first times when it felt like, because this was, you know, we got those shows off the back of Plague coming out, and it was like, 
oh wow like <laughs> we made we made a record and then like somebody heard it and then we got to play with bands that we absolutely worship so that it was a big a big moment for me i've still got you know i've got the poster for for that show framed and up in my living room because it was a yeah quite a big one yeah it was uh yeah it was it was interesting because i was getting i think it was around the time i was uh being uh being more aware of you guys and i checked you out because i saw you on the bill because um uh, another band on that bill was Modern Men. Uh, yes, friends, oh, yeah. fr- friends, of the podcast also very good band, and um, yeah, um, they were like, "Oh, come down to Bournemouth" because they're mostly Bournemouth based. And I was like, "Oh yeah," and then I saw that you guys were on the bill, and I was like, "Yes, definitely." Um, and yeah, I knew I hadn't been to the Anvil in years, and I forgot how small that room as well. And I was like, "Fucking hell, Cult Leader and Birds and Row in that room? Yes, please." Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was uh, it. Was disgusting in all all the ways, nice and <laughs> uh, and weather wise as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was so so hot. But um, yeah, shout out to uh, Birds and Row as well. They were incredible that night, and really yeah. really nice, really nice guys. Well, as well. They, they, are, love- they are, yeah, one of the nicest bands we've ever like had time with yeah they were so they were so they, had, they were so generous with their time with us i think that they, they were like people were like shouting at them at the end of the night like we were like you need to come and pack your gear down they're like hang on hang on we're chatting <laughs> like it was like oh <laughs> don't do that for us but yeah just super super lovely guys and cult leader guys were you know dad we didn't chat to them quite as much i think they were a little bit more sort of reserved with their their time but certainly like the interactions with them were um you know cordial and uh and they were i mean they're cult leader they're one of the best bands in the world so yeah yeah that was i was hoping you were gonna mention that gig because yeah Yeah. uh, that was a that was a great night and uh yeah, we had uh, good cave-in chats afterwards, which uh, leads which leads on to uh, top gigs been to, and uh, oh yeah, I'll <laughs> kick off with you, James. Um, uh, just just talk about cave-in, mate. Go on, just do it. <laughs> well, do you know what? Like when when you asked me to to think about this, and obviously, like obviously, I I could talk at length about the uh, the, the cave-in show at Electric Ballroom a couple of years ago, but um, I'm actually I'm. I'm I'm going to shock and probably not shock you by saying that that wasn't the first show that came to mind um, when oh, I was wow. thinking about the best gigs I've ever been to. But very close tangent, uh, probably the best show I've ever been to was the uh, Converge Blood Moon show in London. Oh. Which, uh, and and which I'm gutted because I didn't go to that. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is taken on even more relevance because they've actually released the first like original Blood Moon material like yesterday, which is stunning. But um, that show is just, I mean, for multiple reasons, which I'll go into. So the, the show itself, obviously, unbelievable. Just convert. I mean, I've seen Converge probably more than any other, um, I guess, like international um, heavy band. Uh, I've made an effort to go and see them. Uh, I think I've, I think I've only ever missed like one of their one of their tours since about two thousand and four. I think. Um, but just that show, like the just them pulling out songs that I never expected I'd ever see them play live. Um with you know Steve Brodsky playing guitar with them, which at the time like Kevin were you know, this was still a good this was still a, a couple of years before Caleb Schofield passed away. So it was like Kevin were just sort of a dormant thing. And you know, Mutoid Man were 
active, but I kind of, I, I to a degree made my peace that Kevin were just like, you know, in the past a little bit. So just seeing Steve Brodsky do anything was was a treat. Um, but getting to see him play with with Converge, and then it was like, it's like Chelsea Wolf was there and Ben Chisholm from Chelsea's band and that. And sadly, sadly uh, Steve Von Till wasn't there because I think he only did the road burn. Um, show but even still like you know they played just all of the big slow burning jams from all of their albums that again I I never thought I'd see them play uh, Wretched World live I never thought I'd see them play um, Coral Blue and they did and they were incredible and but uh, even better, and another reason why this this jumped to my the top of my list. I'm sorry, I'm just speaking and broken without giving anyone no, else a chance to even breathe. Um, was because um, a, a good friend of mine, um, a kid called David Robinson, who's actually another another Hull alumnus. Uh, was, he's he lives in Austria now, but he's made quite a name for himself as a music sort of photographer and documentarian, and he's really good friends with Converge. And they invited him to like document that whole tour for them. So he, I mean, he got he he put me put me on the guest list for that show. But I already had a ticket anyway. Um, but I got to before the show, I got to go and uh, watch the sound check. Oh, so I've <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm one of very few people in the world that's seen Converge play Wonderwall. <laughs> i mean that's 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 a claim to fame if it i've is, ever heard one is. it is and uh and then after they finished sound checking um my friend david was like oh we're we're going out for nando's do you want to come i was like what do you mean we and he's like what we <laughs> it was literally every everyone in the band apart from um kurt blue and jacob bannon so it's like yeah Steve Brodsky, uh, Nate Newton, Ben Collar, Chelsea Wolf, like <laughs> sat, sat just like awkwardly trying to eat my peri peri wings without looking like <laughs> the, big, the biggest dickhead in the world. <laughs> sort of like <laughs> side eyeing, like everyone was like, oh my god, <laughs> just trying not to drop sauce down my shirt. Oh yeah, That's so not- I mean, it was it was a, a just a, a horrific like fanboy moment, and I'm sure I embarrassed myself dreadfully but that's i got to sit opposite steve brodsky and eat peri peri chicken well it's it's funny uh it's it's funny you mentioned food related stories in regards oh. to i can't remember if it no it, it definitely wasn't mutoid man it must have been converge and i was gutted because there is uh, a great kebab shop in camden and when they one of the times they played electric ballroom it must have been six or seven years ago and we decided not to stay out with our mates afterwards and go to the mm-hmm. black art and they were like oh we're gonna go and grab a bite to eat go to the black art when they went to said kebab shop i think it was ben collar that they got a picture with who was just outside the kebab shop just chowing down and uh, <laughs> i was just like fuck i can't believe i've missed this moment to eat a kebab <laughs> with ben collar was it? Here's, here's a question. You might not oh, remember. Was it, go, yeah. was it was it Falafel King? Because that is the best kebab shop in Camden. It's the one that's no. like next door to the Underworld. Oh. 
No, it's um, Woody Grill. Woody Grill, oh, I, I would that. argue. I know exactly the one, yeah. I know. I would I know argue Woody one. Grill is, is the best one, and mainly because they do a banging halloumi wrap, actually, as yeah. well. Halloumi <laughs> and falafel wrap. That's fair. That's fair. Woody Grill is good. But I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm a falafel king man myself. <laughs> not for the... Not, not, <laughs> All right, not kebab. The, yeah, this has turned into kebab wars on, on my podcast. Not for the falafel particularly. They do, they do a really good, just like, uh, chicken shawarma wrapper. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll have to do a test next time I'm in Camden. I think you I'll will. be there this weekend, so... Uh, give, it, give it the Pepsi <laughs> challenge, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, uh, Jim, we'll move on to you. Uh, what was one of your top gigs ever been to as a fan? God knows. Uh, you've got me on the hop a little bit. Cause, um, I should have given you the heads up. I'm sorry. I just... Yeah, probably... Uh, there's two I can choose from. And neither of them... Do, you, can do, of, you can do no both. It's fine. So the, the first one is probably... <sighs> let me think. Uh, Eddie Vedder at Manchester Academy. Um... And I, on his, you know, obviously solo, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, just because it means so much to me, his, his stuff, his solo stuff more than Pearl Jam even, and Pearl Jam are, like, one of my favourite bands. So, um, And then secondly, uh, it's probably taking my daughter to, to see Taylor Swift, but... She came with me because I was going anywhere. <laughs> nice. I never, I never, th- I, I never expected you to say Taylor Swift. Yeah, well, that's it. Nobody does, do they? So, yeah, she was, she was outstanding. Um, yeah, and like I said, people always say, "Oh, yeah, you took your daughter." I was like, "No, no, she came with me." <laughs> well, now, you'd, well been, now- you'd have been there either way. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would have been. Yeah. Well, when you guys get big and you do your uh, BBC Radio One um, cover session, um, <laughs> you need to do uh, you need to do a, a Taylor Swift cover, or you can just do one anyway. That would that I could would do, be, yeah, uh, yeah. It yeah. Would quite gladly because I know Jam likes results. So, I do, yeah. I do. A lot of love, a lot of love for Swifty in this house. Yeah. Everybody yeah. loves the Swift. Everybody loves them. Yeah, sorry. Well, that's well, uh, that's probably one of the most surprising answers I've ever had for top gigs ever <laughs> on, on this podcast. So uh, I think I think you definitely get an uh, award for that one. Um, oh, awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, any other top gigs you can think of, um, James? Uh, any other ones for you? Yeah, I mean, I should talk about Kevin, really, shouldn't I? Um, yeah, let's let's talk about Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about Kevin. Um, yeah, Ooh. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I, I I guess even though it, you know, the the reason that it happened was sort of quite sad and uh, you know tra- tragic. The fact that you know after Caleb Schofield passed, that they sort of pulled it together and um, you know because you know Kevin they, they did the, they did two sort of tribute shows in the states and they did one in Boston, yeah. one in LA. And then, and and I've, I've, one of my best friends went um, to LA as well. And he went, he went to that show, and the lineup for that was insane. So it was like Pelican, and I think that was the one where ISIS, the band, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Got, I think, no, I think, they, they played, I think they, re, I think they renamed themselves, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they played, uh, they played for under the name Celestial, I think. 
but yeah, it yeah. was it was them. It was them they played as well, and it was kind of like a my god, like I'm you know insane amounts of jealousy, and then literally like right around the time of those shows, they announced that they were going to come and do Roadburn and London, and it was like, <gasps> and then thankfully. A friend of mine at the time was like, right, I'll get us tickets. You just need to make your way down here. So so I came down and it was, I mean, it was everything that I wanted. Um, they played, yeah. I mean, it was, as, as much as anything, I think it was like a couple of days before the shows was when they announced that they were putting the final transmission record out, which blew my mind anyway, because I didn't, I, I, you know, the fact that I was getting a cave-in show at all, let alone new music was unbelievable. Um, and that and the, they played, you know, a couple of the songs from that, that show was awesome. Um, but yeah, just, it, it was a big, it didn't, you know, d- despite the circumstances, it didn't feel like a mournful night. It felt incredibly mm. celebratory. Um, it felt just everyone was there for the right reasons. No, but, it, you know, some, sometimes you go to shows when it's bands that have, you know, comebacks, you know, you know that have been like gone for a while and then have got back together again and and you get a sense that um people are there because they want to be seen to have been there do you know what i mean like i remember at electric ballroom a few years before and when uh, american nightmare first got back together and went to see them and it was like you know there were there were definitely people from back in the day that were like just happy that they could you know moss to ampm again but um there were a lot of younger kids that and i'm not trying to gatekeep you know like new fans old fans are just <laughs> yeah. as valid as each other but there were a lot of people that didn't really seem to care that they were there watching american nightmare they were just like i i know that this will be a cool show to say i was at so i'll go to it and i'll just sort of stand in the back and you know stay stay out of the way of it and that that's you know i don't love that attitude but not just the cave-in show didn't feel like that everyone was there because they wanted to be there because they love that band because they wanted, you know, to be kind of part of that, that, that moment of sort of celebration. Um, and that's really what it felt like. It did feel like a celebration. And, yeah. Uh, def- yeah. I feel, I feel very, very uh, lucky to have been at that show. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, uh, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but um, weirdly, I couldn't make the London show because I was going on holiday. So I went to the <laughs> Berlin show. Um, Which is still yeah, awesome. So it, yeah. Um, and it was the the same, uh, I feel exactly the same about the Berlin show because um, I flew over with a couple of people, but went with some Berliners. Um, yeah. And it was... After the show, uh, I did do a little cry because it was so emotional to see Cave In. Uh, but it was the they were amazing. Obviously, Old Man Gloom and Bosk were amazing as well. Um, it felt it, like you say it, it. It was weird. It didn't feel. It did obviously feel like a celebration, but also it just felt like they were back. Like yeah. and they were back. Uh, they were yeah, back properly. It yeah, and, it didn't yeah, feel like they were just going through the motions of being like a you know, let's do do this and then that can be enough. It felt like you could feel that you could feel the, ironically, you could feel the life in them. Like you could feel the rejuvenated spirit of, of that band. It didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like, yeah, you were watching someone who just got back together for money or for like a, a token gesture. It was a, I mean, the fact, the fact that they've continued to play shows and now we're like making a new album 
at the moment just say, just say it's everything really i guess yeah definitely yeah and like you say i remember after the certainly the berlin show finished um standing around and was chatting to a few people uh, weirdly met paul mullen from your kind of his milo, milo that oh, night really? which was also amazing yeah because he he was living in berlin at the time just turned around and he was chatting to a mate um and we were all sort of stood there sort of taking it in and everyone was just like fuck they're back they're like truly truly back so yeah long long live cave in and uh hopefully they will uh produce a stellar album in I, in the next year or so um, but also don't doubt it yeah but also um that new blood moon track as well oh oh what what a beauty just, and it, <laughs> do you know uh, do you know what as well i only listened to it this morning and it wasn't what i was expecting either like i don't i don't know what i expected because obviously at the actual shows it was just it was just the pre-existing converge songs and they did like one there was only one song that was like it was like they did a like a really like reworked like really slowed down version of last light but everything else was just kind of the songs as they were on record so i didn't in my head i was like oh well if they do original blood moon material it'll just be kind of like that and it's not it's a it's a like a new thing again yeah definitely yeah definitely but um, yeah, so look at, really looking forward to that. So thank you guys for, uh, I think that's a perfect place to finish. So thank you so much for coming on and chatting about your new album and some of your favorite shows. So just to wrap it up, um, obviously you've got a tour coming up. Um, so where can people uh, watch you play and where can people pick up your brand new album? Uh, you can pick our brand new album up pretty much anywhere. Um, Bandcamp. Obviously, that you know that's the main place to pick it up from. Uh, if you do it on a Friday, obviously we get a bit more. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and then the tour is Bournemouth, back at the Anvil, Black Heart. Um, oh God, where's it gone? I was, I was, Not- I forget the order after the first. Is it Nottingham, Manchester? Edinburgh and then back to Sheffield, I think. Yes, yeah, nice. something like that. It might, it might, it might be Nottingham, then Edinburgh, then Manchester and Sheffield. But anyway, right, that's cool. which, yeah, whichever go. way around it is. That's and yeah, it's just last, check our socials. Yeah, we've yeah, got we've definitely. got the posters are out there. It's the last week of October. Last shows in Sheffield on Halloween night, so it's going to get spooky. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna get Z- zombie label manager is going to rise from the dead he will be there he will be there so oh spoiler alert right um yeah so for everyone li- everyone listening yeah go and check out uh their new album it's absolutely superb go and read by review uh on noise as well if you haven't already and yeah go and see these guys play some shows very soon Thank you, guys. and uh, Thank you so much, Adam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you.